0: Um, one of our favorite songs that uh, we have heard just, just uh, in this last year. And um, go ahead and turn your Bible if so you would, to First John chapter four. So near the end of your Bible there. And as you're turning there, um, just a reminder: those who uh, um, still need to turn in their money for the ladies' uh, retreat. Um, since Dee's not here this morning, uh, you can, uh, give it to Jennifer, and Jennifer will make sure that, that Miss D gets it, um, and that'll be squared away and taken care of, and, uh, so that's not a problem that she's not uh, able to be with us this morning. Um, so just give it to, to Jennifer, and, and she'll take care of it, and, um, so we're gonna go ahead and go to First John chapter 4. Um, Lord put a a message on my heart um, this week that I've entitled how love helps you face your fear. And I know I I preached a message a couple weeks ago. I think it was at the the very first uh, Sunday here in October um, about Christians not being afraid. And um, I'll be honest with you, it's something that we need to remind ourselves Often that God has not given us a spirit of fear. That he's actually given us um, a spirit of peace. And as we think about that, especially regarding um, October and Halloween and all that, all that stuff that entails, um, I just really feel like it's important that we learn more about uh, this issue and this, this topic of fear. Um, If you go with me to to 1 John chapter 4 it's a very important verse of scripture. Uh, 1 John chapter 4 verse 18 says this. He says, there is no fear in love but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment he that feareth is not made perfect in love. We're going to kind of use this verse as as our launching of, of this morning's message, but as you look here, we're going to read it again. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment, and he that feareth is not made perfect in love. See, God doesn't want you to be tormented in fear. And the answer to that, the solution to that, is this thing called love that we're going to look at a little bit more uh, in depth. And we're going to learn, uh, see a couple uh, situations and things about that. Um, but before we do, let's go ahead and bow in a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into this morning's message. Father, we thank you as we have uh, sung this morning praises to your name. We have exalted you, Lord, as uh, we just enjoy the hymns this morning. Father, we are going to take this time now to help us learn from your word how we can have some help regarding this thing called fear. Father, there are so many Christians in this world who are bound, helpless, by this thing called fear. Whether it's an outside source or whether it's something within their own heart, their own mind, that has chained them. And made them helpless. Father, I ask that you help me to, to to preach this message, Lord, that would be a help to someone this morning. Give them peace. Give them some hope this morning and some help overcoming their fears. And Lord, it's through this thing called love that we're going to look at. Father, we love you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So as we know, all around us, especially now, this is near the end of October. Um, it's, it's closer to the 31st. You're gonna start seeing more and more decorations out and, and uh, stores are gonna get a lot more gruesome and hideous and, and, uh, and just demonic looking. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's just everywhere you go and, and uh, I wish we could kinda of keep you and the boys from it because some of those things are pretty scary for a three-year-old to see. And um, and thankfully they don't understand. They don't understand what these things are. And uh, Aiden actually thinks they're funny looking. <laughs> you know, to to a degree, I think because he was flipping through I think a Lidl's catalog or something like that, uh, and he just happened to see like the costumes and said that they're, they're funny looking. He doesn't understand the whole point and the whole purpose behind these decorations and these these costumes and. And as it gets closer and closer to Halloween, it's going to get even more darker and even more intimidating and and frightening. Uh, But as the world celebrates this love affair, they have a fear. It's not how a Christian is supposed to live at any time. A Christian is not supposed to live in fear. They're not supposed to celebrate fear. It's like a Christian enjoying celebrating death. Why would you celebrate death? Death is the consequence of our sin. That's the, that's the reason why people die is because of Adam's disobedience. And yet people rejoice and celebrate this in, in death. God's not a, a God of the, of the dead. He's a God of the living. We're supposed to celebrate life. But what about those fears not just the outside scary stuff that, that we see, the decorations, and we see the, the ads on the TV or the movies that are being played oftentimes throughout October. Um, what about, not the, the superficial stuff, you know what I mean. What about the real fears? The fears that we have in our hearts. The fears that that we have deep within us that nobody else knows. What about those? Can God help us with those? Can he help us with the the things that you and I think about that nobody else knows? Spouses don't know. Families don't know. Only God knows. Sadly, even the devil knows those things. and He often likes to play with those. Likes to play upon your fears. He likes to use those fears to, to weaken you, weaken your faith as a Christian. How can we get help with those? But in order to understand how we can, how he can help us with these things through this verse, we need to learn about what real fear is and how love affects it. So I see here as by way of introduction. Fear is an uneasiness of mind and soul upon the thought of a future evil likely to befall us. That's what a fear is. Not only about us, but maybe someone that you love. And even though something may happen in our lives that would bring us great sorrow, a Christian understands and knows that like in Romans eight twenty-eight. Which says, all things work together for good to them that love God. To them were the called according to his purpose. And you think, how could bad things in my life be good? But the seemingly bad and evil things that happen in our life are allowed by the Lord for our good. He knows for whatever purpose, whatever design, he knows that ultimately it's for our good. And sometimes we have a hard time getting past that event. We have a hard time getting past that, that situation that maybe we are facing in our life. And we think, God, how is this good for me? How, how is this supposed to be good in my life? And our focus becomes so much on this evil thing, this, this bad thing, this, this difficulty that we're facing in our life, the storm, that we can't see past it can't see outside of the storm. And that's what God sees. He sees the whole picture. And oftentimes we don't allow God to help us go through the storm. Sometimes there's Christians who abandon ships, so to speak. You see, fear shows itself in many forms. Uh, we, I think I dealt with worry the last time that, that I had, had, had preached about this subject. But worry Anxiety, panic, depression, hopelessness, these are all forms and degrees of fear. And many of us are often held captive by some of these emotions, and it puts us in complete bondage. We don't realize, we don't understand that our fears limit us in our service for God, being able to serve Him how we're supposed to how we should. Uh, Just a couple examples of how uh, fear keeps us from serving God. For example, uh, when you're out uh, on the doors or maybe out in the street or you you know somebody or you you come across somebody and maybe because of their physical appearance or maybe, um, you know, you're afraid of what they're going to say to you. You don't give them a try. You don't witness to them. And God may have been putting in your heart saying, I want you to talk to that person about the gospel. But because for some reason or some some difficulty that we have, we say, no, I can't. I can't. They may be another race or a different religion, and we allow our fear to stop us from giving them a track. Knowing we have the words of eternal life Some people don't attend Wednesday evening Bible study because they're afraid that someone might ask and, or what they'll say if they found out. Maybe afraid someone may think that you're a religious fanatic because you go to church more than once a week. I know people like that. I understand if there's things that keep you from, from coming out on Wednesday, but there's some people who generally are afraid that if people found out and I go to church more than once a week, I am some kind of fanatic. Perhaps there are some who only read your Bible in secret because you're afraid that someone may mock you. Someone may make fun of you if they see you read your Bible. Maybe you're afraid to serve God and help in the church because of what your family and your friends may say or they might think of you. You see, we live in a world today that's in the grips of fear. The media broadcasts it constantly. Very rarely do you ever see anything good on news. And oftentimes, that's one of the reasons why I very seldom even watch or listen to the news because there's nothing encouraging, hardly at all. And uh, if anything, I get more discouraged watching the news than anything else. And um, But it's, it is important to know what's going on around you. And um, just not being caught up in what's going on. Because the reason why they broadcast all the bad things happening to you, that it's, it enables people to become so afraid of what's going on around them that they literally become a prisoner of their own making. Uh, we've seen it the last couple of years. Uh, diseases like illnesses like COVID, or now the monkeypox, uh, Ebola, the bird flu, the swine flu, the mad cow disease, the West Nile virus. I remember all these things when they came out. You know, people were hysterical about uh, getting any of these diseases, and, and the media was just right there and, and just broadcasting it as, as dangerous and uh, deadly. But well, what broke my heart the most. With COVID, is that COVID set neighbors and family members against each other? Didn't just affect their bodies, but it broke their families. We had people against each other regarding things like whether or not they would wear a face mask, whether or not they would get a vaccine. And sadly, even affected the church, where people say, well, if if they're not having a standard to a degree, then I'm not going. And they stopped attending church altogether. They allow the fear to dictate what they should do with their life. What about worldly events happening like hurricanes and storms? How often, though, are some of these storms kind of blown way out of proportion? <laughs> now, I'm not saying they're not bad. And there are some that were very destructive. But I mean, I, when Hurricane Ivan, or sorry, Ian came through, I should remember that one because I have my own little hurricane. Uh, <laughs> when Ian came through, I mean, I remember, oh, it's a Category 5. It's going to destroy all of Florida. And uh, it did hit, and there was devastation. There was that uh, and, and sadly, some people did, did lose their lives. But it wasn't to the degree of what they were projecting and saying this is gonna be, you know, Armageddon level, so to speak. I remember one time, I think it was during one of the hurricanes. And again, you, you can't trust the media. You really can't. I'm sitting there, I'm watching, and this is actually, a, it was a video clip that went viral. I'm watching this 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 report on the on the, the hurricane or whatever and you know you got the you got the reporter you know he's got his umbrella or whatever you know and it's torrential rain and it's like blowing wind and all that kind of stuff and he's trying to report on, on what's happening and it's just super gust and they don't realize it. But in the background, here comes this guy. He's just kind of casually walking by and he's like, What is going on? <laughs> no wind, nothing on him, no rain on him. And he's just walking by, and he's like, what in the world is going on? And uh, so you know that they were faking it. They were completely faking the weather. And they probably had maybe had a big old fan or something like that. You know, they're blowing a the fan on the guy, and, you know, probably a hose, you know, spraying hose on him to make it, to, to deceive everybody, thinking that this hurricane, this storm, or whatever it was, was really, really bad. Here's this, this guy just walking by like, what the world is going on? He just walked on by. They're trying to dictate in fear. What about elections? <laughs> I remember, you know, uh, oftentimes the media has people terrified about what could happen and it lets people's imaginations run wild. I remember, okay, now I, I remember when in 2016, when Uh, Donald Trump won the presidency. People thought it was Armageddon. I remember that. That people thought if if he becomes the President of the United States, it's gonna be World War III. And I remember actually, um, I think we were out and about, and uh, someone uh, knows, I was talking with somebody, and they actually believed that he was the Antichrist. That, they, that if this if he gets into power, it's going to be the end of the world. But here's the thing: I remember people saying that when Obama was elected. Kind of, isn't it interesting that when the, the opposing political party is is elected, it's going to be it's going to be, the, it's going to be disaster. It's going to be the end. But no matter your political affiliation media loves to play upon that. And they get you all worked up. They get you all uh, upset and afraid about what's going to happen to your country, what's going to happen, and it's very easy to get pushed along in that current, isn't it? What about climate change? The world is absolutely hysterical right now over this issue. Now, those of you who are in in the Sunday school class, I taught more about that, a lot more in a deeper degree. But if you know your Bible and if you believe your Bible, then you understand that this earth has at least minimum a thousand and seven years left. The very minimum. Whereas if you look here all around the news articles and the news that you know, they're saying that if we don't do something now, the world's gonna be destroyed in 20, 30 years. You know, they've been saying that for the last 20, 30, 50 years. It's just, it's just a different thing. It's just a different, a different spin on it. Um, but they're using it to bring fear. And people are so focused on that, and, they, and they are, it just brings, just brings bondage into their life. Most of what they look at is not based on science but it's actually based upon the almighty euro, the dollar. You'd be surprised just how much we see in this world is dictated by by money. But the reason why you and I are afraid and why we are so fearful so easily and that we allow fear to have place in our life is because we cannot see the future. We have no idea I mean, you know, we have got, you know, we probably have plans that we're going to do some things today, but we have no idea what's going to happen the rest of this day. I have no idea. My plan is, is that once we finish with having church here, we're going to get all loaded up in our car, and we're going to go back home. That's our plan. But we have no idea what's going to happen the rest of this day. I'm praying that we make it home safely, (laughs) you know. And, I, and I'm praying that all of us makes it home safely. But in reality, I have no idea what's going to happen after we leave church today. The Lord can come back. He's welcome to. But because we can't see that, it's so easy to get afraid. The unknown in our life, whether it's in our life or our loved ones, is people's greatest fear of all. So how do we get victory over fear running our lives? This little verse has a lot of answers for that. Perfect love. But what is perfect love? Sounds nice. I'd love to have that perfect love. A perfect love is a love that is completely trusting of another. It's a love that gives you rest and peace, even though the storm is raging all around you. Uh, Look at Luke chapter 8. If you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 8 and verse number 22. Luke chapter 8, verse number 22. Now, before you just dismiss it entirely and say, well, that's just because Jesus is God. But look at chapter 8, verse 22 through 25. Scripture says here, it says, Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples, talking about Jesus, and he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commanded even the winds and water, and they obey him. When I think about a perfect love, Jesus is so calm, knowing that his Father is in control of everything, that he can go and take a nap while there is a storm literally raging all around him. I mean, it's to the point where these are seasoned fishermen, and water is coming up into the boat. The waves are that high; water's coming into the boat. The boat's getting filled with water. I'm sure the disciples they're, they're they're looking at trying to bail out with everything they have, buckets, whatever they can find, and so they're trying to get rid of this water, and they're they're afraid for their life. And here's Jesus sleeping, completely calm, not worried one bit about the storm. Finally they they come and they they wake him up and they said, don't you care that we perish? They they weren't going to perish. He wouldn't let them perish. But They became so focused on the storm and the fear that it brought they forgot that they had the Son of God behind them. That he was with them every single step of the way. They completely forgot all about it until he called the storm and then they realized what oh, matter of oh, man is this? Sometimes I think of often that even the, the, the relationship of a, of a young child and a parent, whenever they're afraid, usually it's the parent that they run to, isn't it? And they get that comfort, that that love from that parent helps them overcome their fear, doesn't it? The perfect love is a faith and a trust in someone which they have no worry or fear of any evil coming from them. Now, sometimes people try to put that love in people, but that will fail because they're not perfect, and that person will eventually fail you and will fall. I've learned that people will disappoint you, even if they don't mean to. Sometimes, some way, there there will come a, a time. In your relationship with them, they'll disappoint you or you'll disappoint them. But the real answer is putting that love towards God. When you have that trust and faith that God will take care of you, no matter what else is happening around you in your life, that is a perfect love. I'll be honest with you. When COVID hit, I had no fear. I had no fear. Was I you know, if I got it, I got it. You know, I was, God didn't give us common sense to protect ourselves. You know, you made sure you wash your hands. Kind of made me wonder what did people do before COVID about washing hands? You know, it all of a sudden became a new thing. Um, you know, made sure I washed my hands. I made sure that I was, you know, I, I was not like up close to people all the time. You know, I, I took, I, a little bit of space. You know, but I wasn't like on the other side of the room with them. You know, I was cautious. I took precautions, yes. But I didn't allow it. I wasn't terrified to talk to people. I wasn't terrified to go into a building. I wasn't terrified to be in in a large gathering. I know people who were. People who were so terrified. They did not leave their home for two months their life because they were terrified of the possibility of getting it. And they didn't get it. They didn't eventually get it. But they lost two months of being with family, two months of enjoying life because they allowed fear to steal that from their life. Now I'm not saying there was things that were cautious that you, had, you couldn't be cautious about. I hope you're not taking that away from what I'm saying. God has given you common sense. Be Use that wisdom that God gives you. But don't let the fear of this world destroy your life and steal what you have in your life. Because they it will. They will. I had no fear. Not that I was arrogant. Not that I was, you know, feeling I was high-minded. Oh, yeah, it's not going to touch me, you know. Because I know people who were like that. And they did get it. And sadly they did die from it. Because they had underlying issues with their health. But I was, I had a calmness throughout this whole thing. If I got it, that was Lord's will. If I didn't get it, it was Lord's will. You know, I went two years without getting it. Even though I was exposed many times just because of traveling and family members, especially. And it wasn't until I got here <laughs> in Ireland. And uh, and then just nonchalantly, someone I was around someone who was exposed to it, and I finally caught it. For a while there, I thought, well, maybe I was immune to it, because you know, I just never had, had it. And um, and so I had COVID. We are our, our whole family got it. Um it was not while we were we were here, we were here. it was uh, before we during the summertime, and um, and so, but God helped me through it. You know, He helped all of us through it. But I didn't allow that fear to destroy and to and to captivate me. When you put that faith in God, now I'm not saying being foolish. There's a difference here. I hope you're understanding. I'm not saying just being foolish. But when you have that trust, when you have that faith, when you have that walk with God, you're not going to be afraid of what goes around you. He's going to take care of you no matter what else is happening around you. Because perfect love casts out fear. It takes that fear that's in your heart and it throws it out of your life. It enables you to serve God and now, this morning, with our time, I, I want to probably go through this quickly. We're going to see an example of how faith and a perfect love for God cast out their fear. Turn, if you would, to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel, chapter 3. Daniel, chapter 3. And we're going to go quickly through this, this event in Scripture this morning. But I want you to see some things as we look at this, this event of, of history and you see the, these, the reaction of those who have gone through this, this horrible trial of their faith. That God used this to draw them close to him. Daniel chapter 3, we're going to see here in verse number 1, uh, we're going to look at it verse by Verse. It says here in three uh, chapter one, or sorry, chapter three verse one, says here Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits, and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Okay, so okay, so we see here that a statue was made. Okay, and it uses cubits, and if you don't know Bible measurements. Probably wonder, okay, seventy cubits and six cubits. That doesn't seem very tall. Well, if you actually were to look at the, the cubits and the measurement, uh, this statue was massive. It was about ninety feet tall and at least nine feet wide. So it was it was a it was a huge huge statue. And so the statue was created. Um, now some people believe that Nebuchadnezzar created a statue of himself and for everyone to worship him as a god. Oftentimes that is what happened when you became the most powerful man in the world. You thought you became you were God and you wanted people to worship you. Uh, that's, that was what the Egyptians did with Pharaoh. They believed Pharaoh was a god. And so oftentimes they would worship Pharaoh as, god, as a god. And so some people think that it was a, a, a self-image of himself Um, even though Nebuchadnezzar was a very prideful man, and God would eventually deal with him in regards to his pride, I don't really think that's exactly what he created. The Bible only says that it was an image or a statue. I believe, I think it was the statue that he saw in his dream from the previous chapter. Remember I told you about in uh, in Sunday school where he uh, he had the image of the, he had a dream and he couldn't remember what it was all about. And Daniel interpreted it for him and told him about the statue and that he was the head of gold, wasn't he? And so I believe it was that statue that he designed and that he, that he wanted for people to come and worship. Now look at verse numbers uh, two and three. It says here, Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces, to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, then all the rulers of the province were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So he calls together all the government officials to come to dedicate the statue that he has created. And so he gathers all the important officials here and uh, for some reason, Daniel's not here. Maybe he was away on an uh, important business that he was not in the, the area of Babylon at that time. And so um, they're all gathered together. Now look at verse number four. Verse number four says here, um, then a, a, her- a herald, basically a messenger, uh, cried out, cried aloud, saying, to you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And uh, so a herald comes in, he tells him, look, uh, this is what's going to happen here. Uh, uh, when you hear this music playing, you're supposed to bow down and worship this statue. That is the rule, that is the law. Now, we know that music is a very powerful motivator for worship, isn't it? Both good and bad. And Satan knows this, and he uses it often. But here we see, okay, this is the declaration. The herald here is, is talking to all these officials, saying, look, this is, this is what you do when you hear the music, you bow down. That's what you're supposed to do. Now, look at verse number six. It says, and whoso falleth not down and worshipeth and worship them, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace therefore at that time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute harp sackbut, sultry and all kinds of music all the people, nations and all languages fell down to worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up and uh, so they began to do that whenever the music played maybe it was at a certain time every day we don't know. Uh, But anyway, the music played, everybody began to bow. That was what was happening. And we saw a deadly warning to those who refused, that they would be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Uh, Now, for us, it's hard to understand or even think of and to imagine what it could be. But it must have been a massive furnace, uh, greater than even like a a brick urn or a, a kiln. And, I mean, this thing had to have been absolutely huge. Because people were terrified of, of being cast into this furnace. Uh, they didn't want to perish that way, and so they, they obeyed what the king said. Except for a couple people. You see here that the, the decree is defied. Look at verse number 8. It says, Wherefore at that time uh, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews... So we see here that uh, after the dedication of the, the statue, I would say it's been going on for a little, a short time, and uh, some, some people notice that not everybody's bowing. Uh, certain Chaldeans came to Nebuchadnezzar, and they accused some Jews of not obeying the king's decree. Verse number two says, uh, sorry, verse number nine, it says here, and they spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree, and every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, the harp, the sacrament, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And said, well, there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And so they see here, they look, king, we got a problem. So we we see that there's some trouble brewing. He said, "Uh, king, there's some Jews that you set up over some of these provinces. You put these men in power. They are not obeying what you have told them to do. Uh, these men, look, the world knows who you are. Didn't they call them by name? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they, They knew right away who these men were. And they told the king, look, these three men are not doing what you told everybody to do. And they are defying you, they are defying your gods, and they're defying your image. So now they, they're really working up on Nebuchadnezzar's pride here because they knew that the king had a temper they saw that in Daniel chapter 1 and Daniel chapter 2 nobody could tell Nebuchadnezzar's dream and so he said well, what use are you all I'm going to kill you all <laughs> he was going to kill them all except for Daniel was able to intercede and, and tell the dream so they knew he had quite the temper anyway Verse number 13 says here, And then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then they brought these men before the king. So we see here that uh, he demands that these these men be brought forward. When you try to serve God and do what God says to do, you're going to face persecution. These men knew that they were not supposed to bow down to that, that idol. Who knows how many other Jews did? They were more concerned about the furnace than they were about their faith. But these three men, they knew what the, 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 the decree was, and yet they still said, We're not gonna bow. Even if it's just a statue, they know that there is nothing about it. But you would be amazed at what the world Into statues. There's even a statue here in Ireland where people worship it because it moved or it talked. So, this great statue, you know, in the end times, during the tribulation, there's going to be a statue made of a dragon that's going to be able to talk, and people are going to worship. There's power. Satan uses statues. So these men, they said, you know what? We're not going to bow. We're not going to bow down to it. On pain of death, they decided to not worship the statue. They knew it was either worship the gods and image that Nebuchadnezzar told them to, or to worship the God of heaven and earth. They did not worship how he told them to, and so because of it. They were going to die. Now, there may be some laws that will force you to decide on what you will obey. There are countries, even today, where it is illegal to hold a Christian church service. If they were found out, they could be imprisoned or killed. Yet, no matter the risk, they're still meeting in secret. Even though it's illegal for them to have a Bible. It's illegal for them to have a church service. They still know that they have to obey God rather than man. And there may come a time that you must decide if you're going to follow God, and what His Word says, or what man's laws will force upon you. (laughs) You see the decree fulfilled. Look at verses 14 and 15. It says here, and Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do ye do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if ye be ready, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sacrament, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made, well. But if ye worship not Ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Think about it. So we see here Nebuchadnezzar is trying to be merciful to a degree. So he's given them another opportunity to confess and to change their minds. And he informed them plainly that if they do not worship his image, that they were going to be killed. He he wasn't going to say, I'm going to give you another chance. He said, if you do not do this, you will die. You have no choice. It's either you do it my way or no way. And so he made them understand quite plainly the risks of their decision. But he makes a very interesting comment at the very end he kind of nonchalantly asks them what god could possibly deliver them out of his hands if they refused you see he was the emperor he was the leader of the known world at the time the most powerful man in the world and here he says who's going to deliver you out of my hands There's no God that can do that. He thought he was the supreme authority. He didn't realize that the supreme authority was Jehovah, God the Father. We're going to see that the men respond to the king. And they didn't ask time to prepare an answer. They were committed and ready. They didn't didn't have to say, "Um, can you give us five minutes? We need to kind of discuss this, this subject right here. Give us a little bit of time. We're going to deliberate here and we're going to see whether or not we're going to actually decide what we're going to do. But if you look here in verse number 16, as soon as he says, look, this is what's going to happen, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered. They didn't take any time. They didn't say, give us a little break. They said they answered straight away to the king. They said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the gold image which thou hast set up. So we see here that by the faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had, they are showing their complete trust in the love of God. That God was going to keep them secure. They knew that certain death was before them. but They refused to worship. And yet they were not afraid. Their love and their faith in God were so strong that no matter what Nebuchadnezzar threatened them with, they would not obey his decrees. You know, throughout the ages, there have been many martyrs who willingly gave their lives for the gospel and their faith. They learned how to have that perfect life. I mean, as they're burning at the stake, they're singing praises to his name. How can someone do that? And yet they, have, they went beyond... Their own, I guess, physical capability, and they realized that he is worthy. Now they didn't know God was gonna spare They didn't know the future, they didn't know the rest of the story. They had no idea. They were and before them was a furnace. Nebuchadnezzar was the king. And he had every single right and ability to, to send them into that furnace. But they knew that even if God would not deliver them from death, they still left their lives in God's hands. They let God decide. And they knew that He was able to deliver them, and whether dead or alive, they knew that they would be delivered out of the king's hand and power forever. As we he said, he said verse number 16. They said, uh, We're not careful to answer these. Verse 17 it says. Uh, And he will deliver us out of thine hand. Whether in life or death, He's no longer going to have authority over them anymore. Nebuchadnezzar was a ruler that said of everything of the known world. What he said was obeyed. He controlled the world. And yet they told him that he had no control over their lives. Instead, only their God did. What a slap to his pride. Think about it. You're not the one in charge, Nebuchadnezzar. God is. And oh, he did not like that. Look at verse number 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar. Now they weren't cocky. They weren't arrogant. When they were confronting, when they were responding to to Nebuchadnezzar. I don't think that was the way they were. But they replied in simple faith. This is what we're going to do and this is what we're not going to do. They weren't arrogant about it. Verse 19 says, Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one-seven times more than it was wont to be. heated." Their response infuriated Nebuchadnezzar to a seething rage. The point where his whole countenance changed for them. You ever seen someone get angry like that? Where I mean their whole demeanor is, is it's frightening. And his rage had gotten to a point where it was it changed his whole countenance and everything. And in his anger, he, he ordered the furnace heated far hotter than it could normally would be. And here's you see what wrath does to a person. Nebuchadnezzar now is is completely unreasonable, and he only desires the objects of his anger eliminated as fast as possible. And when we allow our anger to become rage, wrath is quick to follow, and you will do something foolish and something you will regret. A lot of people, a lot of trouble in this world. They allow their anger and their rage get a hold of them, and they do some very silly things. And innocent people get hurt. Look at verse number 20 and 21. Sorry. Uh, and he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. So he makes sure, he brings his strongest guys, and he makes sure that his strongest guys tie them up and uh, verse number 21 says then were, these men were bound in their coats their hoses and their hats and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace so uh, he is so angry that he, he wants no sign whatsoever of these guys remaining not even a hat they want this guy gone they want, he wants them gone, destroyed and so he has them bound with all their clothing by the strongest of, of men that, so they couldn't escape Look at verse number 22. It says, Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And so we see here the, fir- the furnace's victims, his best warriors, not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So Nebuchadnezzar lost his best fighting, his strongest men, to the furnace. Because as they approached to throw them into the furnace, the fire was so hot. I mean, have you ever been to a really big fire before, a bonfire? And I mean, it, it's raging, and you, you can hardly get close to it. You're going you to start feeling the heat. Well, this thing, this thing was massive. This was a, a huge furnace, and it was hotter than hot. I mean, just to be able to approach the furnace was probably burning people. And here, that's what happened to these men. Is they, they were commanded by the king, and so they had to do what he said. And so they took these men, and they got as close as they could to the furnace to, to cast them in. And the, 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 the flames, uh, maybe as soon as they opened the door, maybe the flames came out. Who knows? We don't know how exactly it happened. But either way, these men all died. Because of the king's commandment. He lost his best soldiers to his rage. But thankfully the story doesn't end there. I'm thankful that's not the end of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because we see that deliverance is seen. Look at verse number 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished. He rose up in haste. And he spake and said unto his counselors... Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. He thought he was finished forever with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Anybody defying his commands. Anybody not obeying what he had told them and commanded them to do. But he heard no screams. He heard no agony. In fact, he heard nothing at all. Now, the Bible kind of indicates that there must have been some kind of a window, some kind of opening that that uh, could be seen into this furnace. Uh, because what he sees completely startles and scares him. I mean, he sees something, he, he, he jumps out of his chair and says, wait wait a second here, didn't we throw three men into this fire? And uh, verse 25 says, and, and, the answer, and the answer said, lo, or they, they answer the reply and say yeah, true okay there, we threw all three there's only three in there, but he sees that when they when he when they agree said yeah there's only three we only threw three guys in, verse twenty five says and he answered and said lo I see four men walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurts and the form of the fourth is like the son of God here he's he's seeing this and he's watching this he's like there's four men and they're they're walking around. I mean so it had to have been a big furnace. Not just a little one. I mean they're sitting there they're walking around. They're having fellowship with whoever that fourth person is. It was the form of the fourth one that scared him the most. Because I don't think it looked like the other three. There's something about that fourth man in that fire who Nebuchadnezzar identified right away and says, look, this looks like the Son of God. Looks like the Son of God. Declares that he sees the Son of God in the fire with these men. Which goes to show you, no matter what storm, whatever, what you go through, whatever trial you go in your life, God is with you every step of the way. He was in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was in the boat with the disciples. He's never going to forsake you no matter what the storm is in your life. I'm thankful that I have a King James Bible because it's the only one that declares it as the Son of God. All the other versions (coughs) say it's either a son of the gods or an angel. They call it an angel. But the King James Bible says it is the Son of God. He is the one and said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Look at verse number 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning, fiery furnace. And he spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, sorry, then Shadrach, uh, Meshach, and Abednego came forth Of the midst of the fire. Now, Nebuchadnezzar still can't believe his eyes. And so he comes as close as he can, without being burned himself. He comes as close as he can to the entrance of the furnace, and and he calls them to come out. And look, he says, and he knew what God they served, didn't he? The servants of the Most High God come out. And to his astonishment, They stepped out. They stepped out of the fire. Look at verse 27. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men, upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. So, everyone's in shock as they see these these three men now standing before them. I mean, they should have been consumed like the soldiers were. But standing before them all, they were not even burned in the slightest. None of their hair was singed on their body, and their hair, their beard, whatever. Uh, No hair was singed. Their clothes weren't even touched. That's the first thing that burns up, isn't it? It's your clothing. Their clothes were, were perfect and they didn't even smell of fire or smell of, of smoke of any, of any sort. They were completely unharmed. Verse 28 says this, he says, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him. And had changed the king's word, and yielded their bodies, that they might not serve nor worship any God except their own God. When he saw them, he realized yet again that he had done very foolishly. He knew their God had delivered them out of his hand, and that it was their faith that had done it. He noted that even they even yielded their bodies to death and still would not bow before any other God. Look at verse four twenty nine. 29. It says, Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speaketh anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. No other God that can deliver. Nebuchadnezzar made another decree and said if anybody said anything, said anything, against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, then they would be killed and their homes destroyed. They made this decree because he realized that there was no other God that could deliver his people like God can. He knew his false gods. He knew the image that he made couldn't deliver anybody like that. Lastly, look at verse number 30. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Because of their faith and perfect love towards God, they proved God was real to Nebuchadnezzar. He promoted them into higher positions in his kingdom for their faith. But this would not be the last time that he would have an experience with the God of the Jews. If you read, Daniel chapter 4 you find out what happens to Nebuchadnezzar you won't be disappointed it's one of the most interesting testimonies in all of scripture see I believe God was even used this to work on Nebuchadnezzar's heart he used Daniel being able to interpret the dream that he had in chapter 2 he used Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego Their faith in action to prove that that God was the one in charge, not him. And it worked on his heart, worked on his heart. Because there's going to come a day that he kind of got real arrogant and said, look what I built. Look at my kingdom. Look at all that I have done. And the Bible says God smote him. And he became like a, a beast of the field seven years. And his hair grew out, his his fingernails became like talons, he ate grass like an ox. After that seven years, he comes to himself, and he realizes that God in heaven does what what he wishes to do, and that Nebuchadnezzar is nothing in his sight. And he repents, and he gives glory to God. I kinda wonder. wonder if we might see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. You never know. You never know. But the testimony that he gives in chapter 4 kind of makes me think, I might see him again. I might see him again. But I think this event had a strong impact on Nebuchadnezzar's heart. Because he saw the power that God on high had. Worked on his heart. At this time, I'm going to go ahead and have um, Ellen come forward. I just want to speak to some hearts this morning. And uh,